Welcome to the Legacy Church Amelia Island podcast. We are so glad that you have joined us. Wherever you're listening from today, we believe that this message will help you to know God and leave a lasting legacy on this earth. Hands together for the goodness of our God and our King on this Resurrection Sunday. We welcome in our online family. Thank you for gathering in this day on a holy and sacred day. The world can't match what the Lord did today as God sent his son to die for the sins of the world, and we celebrate his resurrection today. How exciting is that? I heard about a guy recently who converted to Christianity, and a lot of his friends and family were upset. They were like, why would you do that? Why would you convert to Christianity? And he said, well, when you're desperate for direction, who would you, take, who would you rather take advice from, a dead guy or a guy who's alive? And so I said, hey, I like that story. And so we thank God that we serve a risen king and a risen savior. And so hopefully you feel welcomed If this is your first time here today, if I haven't had the pleasure to meet you, my name is Carlos. I'm a second-generation pastor and have the privilege to teach and to preach here at this local community of believers. If you're unfamiliar to the church setting, just know this, we're just like you. And maybe the one difference is we've put our faith in Jesus Christ, but none of us are different than you. We are so happy and, and grateful to be in this place today. Well, on this Resurrection Sunday, we are closing out a series of talks that we've had. and We followed the path and the pattern of Jesus from the cross, and now we, we go to that tomb, the, the stone that we've all come to celebrate today. And so for the next few moments, I want to talk to you from this thought. I want to talk to you from the thought of lessons from the gardens. Maybe you'll turn to your neighbor and say, hey, let's get some lessons from the garden." All right, now after that awkward moment, let's pray together. God, we thank you for this sacred day. We, we come with reverence in our hearts. We, we thank you for your faithfulness and your commitment to us, and, and today we give you our commitment. Lord, I pray no matter how familiar, unfamiliar this moment is for the people in this building and online, Father, would you give us all ears to hear and eyes to see what the Holy Spirit would have to say. Holy Spirit, you have control of these moments. I pray no one leave here is the same, Father. I pray the prodigal returns home, and I pray the pagan finds the God. We honor you, Lord, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, so honest question here today. Who's a fan of movies? Who's like a movie fan? Like you love a good movie. I mean the real stuff. I mean the classics. Come on. I mean before the green screens came into creation. Who's a fan of the real stuff? I'm talking like the Wizard of Oz kind of stuff, right? And, and, and the screenwriters, they had to really do their work because with no green screens, they had to keep reminding us of what? Follow the yellow brick road. And you kept seeing it in every other snapshot of the movie you felt like, right? I appreciate before they had all the technology, this, this classic, this good stuff, the new stuff that they, they, they don't know what, they don't know what they're missing. All right. How about the classics of Rocky? Anyone love a good Rocky movie? Oh my gosh. Thank you. We have some saved people in the back over here. And, and what was the scriptwriter using for the movies of Rocky? It was the streets of Philadelphia. How could you not pull for the underdog, Sylvester Stallone, who apparently is going to keep making these movies until he dies? <laughs> Anyone notice? I don't know how many at this point. Now in the, they're in the Creed series. I think it's the same thing. It's going to keep going. And if maybe you're not a fan of Wizard of Oz or a fan of Rocky, surely you're a fan of Top Gun. Any Top Gun fans in the house? Come on. Who doesn't love some Maverick and Goose? disobeying commands and orders and flying through the skies and and landing on this Navy vessel just barely. 
No green screens. This, this is real stuff. This was, this was the classics. And, and so what you saw was the screenwriter having to use the background, having to use the, the background to convey a thought, to put together the theme. And, and if you've been with us through these collections, this series of talks, we've talked about the, the master screenwriter God and how he would use the background and he would, he would help bring to understanding the theme and the message of Jesus. And, and the whole message was the redemptive plan of God. That none of us in this room have lived a life without sinning. We're all sinners day in and day out. But there's a redemptive plan through the person of Jesus. This whole Bible culminates with the redemptive plan of Jesus. And, and the backdrop was Jerusalem. And the backdrop was the gate of Jerusalem. And, and Jesus, who symbolically represents what's called a Passover lamb. And a Passover sacrifice. The only way that you and I would spend eternity with Jesus is if we would have somebody to repent to. And say, forgive me of my sins. I want a relationship with you. I want to spend eternity with you. I want something more than myself. And if you've ever asked yourself this question, is there more to life than this? Let me help you answer that question. Yes. It's in the person of Jesus. It's in the sacrificial lamb that walked into Jerusalem. It's the one that we all celebrate here today. And so God uses the backdrop of different things in the Bible. But one of the things he uses most frequently is a garden. Someone say a garden. He used a garden so frequently, he tells the story of Jesus, a story, the redemptive story, and he used different examples. He'll talk, about, um, he'll talk about sowing. He'll talk about reaping. He'll talk about tilling ground. He'll talk about vineyards and, and different things like this, and so it's kind of getting our minds around this thought of a garden, of a garden. Okay, now when's the last time you walked through a garden? When's the last time you worked in a garden? I'm getting blank stares. Um, HGTV Home and Garden. All right, there we go, some smiles. Now you're with me. Vegetation, green, planting stuff. And I'm not going to judge you. I'm, I'm not one to judge and tell you right now. Whatever the opposite of a green thumb is, that's what I would be. I would be the opposite of a green thumb. And, and as a matter of fact, my wife knows this. If it can grow, I can kill it. True story. True story, I have this gifting, I have this ability. And so that is to say that if you need land cleared on your property, I'm your guy. You need stuff dead, I can kill it. I'm not joking with you. I've killed small plants, I've killed big plants. I've killed all kinds, I've killed palm trees. I've even killed, hear me out, I've killed bushes and shrubs. How do you kill those? Well, apparently you can only cut them back so far before they die. Who knows this stuff? Like naturally, who knows, knows born knowing this stuff? And so at this point in my life, my wife, she's attacked my manhood. And here's what she's done. She's taken the landscaping duties away from me and my home. Well, someone pray for her. Her name is Courtney, if you don't know her. She's taken the duties away from me and just embarrassingly invites other people into my property to take care of the lawn. And so every now and then I'll have this awkward stare down with the landscaper who comes to our home. We catch each other at least once a month. And we'll have this awkward stare, and we don't talk. He doesn't say much, I don't say much, and we just kind of walk by each other and let him know that dead grass, that's mine, bud. <laughs> Those dead bushes, that's all me. And sooner or later, you're out of here, and I'm back in the fold. And so... What we know is this, is that God uses gardens, and whether you're familiar with them, like most of us not familiar with them, God uses this depiction. He's the great screenwriter. He wants you to pay attention to what's behind the scenes, the background to understand the points that he is making. 
This is the, the, the method that he uses. And what's so interesting is this, is that when God creates the world, he creates everything around us, the entire universe, God created. And some of you in here, you don't believe God created the earth, and that's okay, we're with you. You believe in a loving way, you believe in the Big Bang Theory. And we preach the Big Bang Theory. God spoke and bang, it happened. <laughs> but seriously, if you, if you don't believe he created the heavens and the earth, we still love you and you're still welcomed. But so when God creates the heavens and the earth, everything you see, do you know what he starts with? It's the most amazing thing. To me, it's like, that's all you got, God? Like, you're, you're the God of the universe. You told the oceans they have to stay here. You told the sun what he can come up and go down. He starts with not sending someone on his own. He creates something called a garden. That's where you would start, God. If you turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2, I mean on the second page of your Bible, well, some of you with the large print, it's the fifth page of your Bible, but... If you don't use readers this morning, my parents are going to get me for this one, but if you don't use readers this morning, it's on the second page of your Bible. Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. Do you know what God starts the entire planet with? It says this. It says, now the Lord God had planted a what? Garden in the east. Uh, How minimalistic of God. How modern of God here, right? Garden in the east in in Eden, and there he put man that he formed. And and this is very intentional. Let me show you how, because the word Eden is actually Hebrew for the word pleasure or to take pleasure in. And so where God begins with the heavens and on, on this universe, rather, is this, is that he would create a space, a garden that he would take pleasure in. Imagine that. The Bible says, as you read through it, that God would take walks in the cool of the day in this garden. And then it says that he would create man, he would create Adam, and and they would commune, and they would take walks together, and they would enjoy time together. But apparently, the conversation wasn't that great. And so he's got to create woman. And the conversation gets that much better, and the IQ rises that much more when he creates woman. But watch this. God doesn't forget about Adam. He does Adam a solid because he creates woman before he creates clothes. Are you hearing me, men? You didn't hear me. He creates woman before he creates clothes. God could have done it the other way around, but that's how I know God loves us. He's always looking out for man. He's always looking out for us. And God creates Eve before he creates clothes. Did I say that already? Um, He creates Eve, and, and it's wonderful because Adam and Eve are in this utopian paradise garden. It's amazing. Everything they need, they have it from food to vegetation, and it's a great ecosystem, and God has plants and, and animals, and, and there's no locks on the doors. It's, it's, it's a place where God provides everything, and there's no protection needed because they're at one with God. As a matter of fact, ladies, who doesn't like a good destination wedding? Any lady like a good destination wedding? I know you do because they're all over TV. And so God has the first destination wedding. It's in the Garden of Eden, and there's no mosquitoes, and and no flies, and, and no, no sweating your eyebrows off. And... Too far? My wife, my wife said too far, too far, too far. <laughs> it's a perfect wedding is what I'm trying to say. The wedding planner is so happy this day because it's in the Garden of Eden, and, and God gives a destination wedding, and it's the perfect wedding. It's a perfect marriage. It's God designed for the family, a man and a woman joined together in holy matrimony. God says, this is my design. This is my pattern, and everything is beautiful. Everything is, is as God wants it. But this garden, it's a very specific garden, because in this garden, what begins to happen is 
there's a bit of a, a complacency. You know, when you've lived for God long enough, who's lived for God for a good little while? Like you just didn't get saved this year. Most of the people in the room, you've been living for God for some time. When you live for God for some time, do you know what happens? You start taking him for granted. You know why? Because he already gave you the spouse. He already gave you that baby you prayed for. He already gave you the job. He already took care of your children, and now you're, you've got grandchildren. He already gave you the provisions. And you, the health concern, you don't even think about your health anymore. And you begin to get real complacent, and God is just there, and no longer do we pray when we wake up, God, go before my mental health today because you don't feel suicidal anymore. And you don't pray anymore about God, keep me from that addiction of lust and pornography because he's already delivered you from that. So it's like the urgency and the prayer time. It's not what it used to be, if I could say that. It's not the same. And so what we see is they get a bit complacent with the Lord. And the problem with complacency, the problem with having the job and having good insurance and having not one but two cars and not parking either car in the garage because you got so much stuff in that garage. The problem with having perfect health and, and, and your marriage being in a great place. The problem with not working for a company, but you leading the company. The problem with not talking about vacation, but having multiple vacations. The problem with that is that you can forget that one, there was one day and one time in life you had to pray for that stuff. You had to lean on God for that stuff. So now you've arrived. Now you've made it. Now you're much further than your parents and your grandparents. And you've forgotten the God who, if it was not for him on your side, where would you be? You've forgotten the God of your grandparents, those who grew up in the Depression. You, you forgot that God. And so what happens is complacency settles in, and the problem with complacency settle in is that drift begins to happen. You ever been in the ocean, and you set your stuff down, and you go, just five, ten minutes, you're like, who stole my stuff? And you come charging out of the water, and you're like, oh, it's, 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 it's just 20 feet that way. Drift begins to happen. And, and, and when drift begins to happen, it's the most opportune time for the enemy. Someone say the enemy. If you don't know this, there's a real enemy who wants you and wants your home and wants your family. And here's the problem. The enemy, you don't live with them. The enemy, they're not your boss. The enemy, they're not a political party. The Bible says the battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against spiritual principalities and rulers of darkness and high places. That'll free someone today. And so what happens is when we get drift from God, we find ourselves far from God. What happens is the enemy speaks and he speaks these opportune times. And here's what happened. God creates a beautiful garden. The garden is beautiful. There's no clothes. The garden is beautiful. He creates a garden, but then what happens is four words enter the universe. Four words enter into the human mind that had never been there before. Because when you begin to get complacent, you wonder, well, does God really have my best in mind? You begin to wonder these things. And here's what the enemy, here's what the devil whispers in the ear of Eve. He says this, did God really say? Had never been said before, had never been thought before. And all of a sudden, in all of humanity, past and present, now we have this thought. What if God doesn't want the best for you? What if you're missing out? What if it's not as fun or a good time? What if you don't go as far in the corporate world? What if you can't satisfy yourself mentally, emotionally, relationally, sexually? What if there's more than, there than God has given you right now? What if you're missing out? And it sounds simple for words, but it changes the rest of the trajectory of humanity. Did God really say you couldn't eat of the fruit of the tree of good knowledge of good and evil? Did he really, is this what he meant? Are you missing out right now? 
by being faithful to God in your marriage, being faithful to God in your finances, being faithful to God in, in private as well as in public? Is there more than meets the eye? And for the first moment, Eve thinks, wow, God's holding back on me. There's a better life. There's more fun. There, there's, there's things that God is not giving me that's happening at the after-hour gatherings. There's more than I'm experiencing. And so what happens is Eve falls prey to this, this thought through the drift, and Adam falls prey to this. And what we know is that this beautiful garden, this beautiful place that the Bible speaks of, goes from the Garden of Eden to pleasure, and it becomes the Garden of Drift. The Garden of Eden, the Garden of Pleasure, becomes the Garden of Drift, where it becomes the backdrop now of not pleasure, but the original sin. And so for this moment, the rest of your Bible, as you read 39 books to your right, and you get to the New Testament, you're, you're, you're going you're gonna to see the entire Bible is a story of redemption from this first garden. Everything you're reading, it has to do with redeeming man back to God because when they sin, all of us are born sinners. Whether you have a microphone on stage and a jacket or whether you're sitting in the hour or they're watching online, we're all born sinners. And so from this moment, we need a savior. We need salvation. We need repentance of sin. Did I say sin? We need repentance of sin. That we say, God, come into our life and change us. And this moment, we know that they leave the garden. And the fall in this garden forces a second garden. Someone say a second garden. So now as you and I read our Bible to the right, we've got to look for the second garden. And we look for the second garden because we all came here for the stone, the stone being rolled away. But you don't get to the stone being rolled away. You don't understand why the stone was rolled away. You don't understand the significance of the stone rolled away if you're not looking for the second garden. And you say, well, that's, that's, that's a bit, I don't know. That's, it's, what would I even know to look for? I'm so glad you asked. And so in Genesis 3.15, God has a conversation with the enemy, the one who spoke into the ear of Eve. And he says this, and I will put enmity. That means hostility. And I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Have you ever wondered why the womb of a woman has always been under attack? Have you ever wondered why? Genesis 3.15. Because any move of God has come from where? The womb of a woman. Every man, every woman has come from where? Womb. And God said there will always be hostility. He tried, as a matter of fact, take Jesus out when he was in the womb of Mary. And then it was he was born, tried to take him out. So Jesus was what? He was an immigrant in Egypt. He had to run for his life because the devil was always after the seed of woman. And it started right here. And how many know it hasn't stopped? It goes on and says this, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This next garden, there'll be what? Some crushing and some bruising. Continue in scripture. And this is far before Jesus comes on the scene, but it says this next garden, this is what we should look for in Isaiah 53. This is what we're to look for and find this next garden. It says this, but he was what? Pierced for our transgressions. Sound like anybody you heard of? And he was what? Crushed. The crushing continues. Crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that was brought that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are what? There'll be crushing in this garden, but there'll also be what? Healing in this garden. So somehow, some way, you and I have to make our way to this next garden. In this next garden, there'll be crushing and there'll be bruising for Jesus and for the enemy, the devil who had showed up there. And so what we're forced to do now, we're in the book of Genesis. We got to go 39 books to the right. And so here's the thing. Some of you might have grown up hearing this because I did. Uh, hey, just read the New Testament, the first four books of the Bible with the red lettering, because in the Old Testament, that's an old, mean, angry God. 
If you've heard that, raise your hand. It, we grew, a lot of us heard that. That's an old, angry God. He was just doing away with people. And he was just real harsh. As though God got nice in the New Testament? As though God had a personality disorder and said, hey, I want to be nice in this dispensation. No, I apologize for that poor theology. God has always been loving. He's always been merciful. He's always been a good God. Here's the thing. You can't be merciful if you're not just. And Jesus attacks sin the same way God attacks sin in the Bible. Have you heard his conversations with the chief priests and the Pharisees? Have you heard his conversations to those who were arrogant and elevated themselves above other people? There was a woman caught in adultery. The man always seems to get out of the way there, but that's another conversation for another time. But there was a woman caught in adultery, and everybody would just want to just kill her with stones. And Jesus said this. He goes, oh, you without the first, you without sin cast the first what? Stone. Jesus said, yeah, this is, this is a new day. This is a new time. And, and so he, he felt the same way about sin, and he showed the same grace and mercy of God. So all that to say is that if I were just to jump into the New Testament with you and talk about the stone being rolled back and rouge you all up, you'd be missing the meat and potatoes of this story. God did so much 42 generations prior, thousands of years prior. He set these gardens in order that you and I would learn from because right now somebody is in the garden of drift. It was pleasurable at one time. You had a first love with God at one time. You couldn't wait to tell people about your testimony. You couldn't wait to thank God for his provision. You prayed for everything. You prayed for all three meals. You prayed for snacks. You prayed for protein shakes. You prayed in your car going, in your car coming back. You prayed, God, should I watch this movie? God, should I listen to this music? God, should I hang out with these people? Like You were a prayer warrior, but then after God just does things for so long, you're just like, yeah. I'm just used to it at this point. Someone's going to see that God is going to do something great in your life through the garden, the garden of drift. He's going to remind you of some things. And so what happens here is that we go from this garden and we go 39 books to your right. And then we go 26 chapters and we find ourselves in a new garden. And in this garden, there's supposed to be some things we're supposed to look for to make sure this is the right garden we're supposed to find. And in Matthew chapter 26, In verse 36, here's what we read. It says this, then Jesus went with them to the what? A garden of olive trees. Interesting. We've we've now found ourselves in the second garden that God desires. Before we get to Jesus, before he dies on the cross, before he resurrects, we're now in the second garden. And this second garden is, is due to the first garden. It's the olive grove called what? Gethsemane, important garden. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is what? My soul is what? My soul is what? What was one of the symbols of this next garden? Crushing and bruising with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. What we're seeing here is that Genesis and Isaiah told us this had to be a place of crushing. This had to be a place of bruising. So much so, even the name, and many of you who've been in church, you might be familiar, but some may not. Even the name of this garden lets us know God, the great screenwriter, is using the backdrop to convey a message. The garden at Gethsemane is this. It's a place whose name literally means, watch this, oil press a place where olives are what? Crushed to produce olive oil. There's a crushing 
of the olive oil to make oil that would anoint Jesus to be the Savior and the Messiah of the world in this garden. The garden at Gethsemane was a place we're told Jesus was in anguish. He was distressed. We're told he was crushed with grief to the point of death. This is the second garden that we have arrived to. This is where God wants to teach us yet another lesson from the garden. It was a place of crushing. It was a place of bruising. Someone in the room is here in this garden today, and you can't hide it. There's a crushing and there's a bruising. And oh, by the way, this is a place of isolation. We know this because this place would be hustling and bustling in, in, in the fall when the olives are being harvested. This actually was a spring and nobody was there. It was the loneliest garden in all the world because after this prayer, the Roman guards come to apprehend Jesus and guess who leaves him? His disciples. It's a place of crushing, a place of bruising, and a place also of isolation. And if you're there right now, you're not alone. Jesus understands and he gets it. And Jesus is in this garden suffering because of what? The first garden. And because of the sins of the world, that's why he's in this first garden. The story continues in verse 39, and it says this, talking about Jesus. It says, he went a little further and bowed with his face to the ground. Ah, man, when you're suffering, you don't do these pretty prayers falling asleep on your pillow, do you? When you're suffering, you don't toss God up. God is good. God is great. Bow our heads. We thank you, Lord, for this daily bread. Like, you don't do one of those. You get your face to the ground. And we see Jesus with his face to the ground praying, my father. It's not pops. It's not God. You're my homie. It's my father. It's pleading. It's asking. It's declaring, God, I need you. God, I desire you. My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering pass from me. What is a cup of suffering? That the father was going to turn his back. Yet I want your will to be done not mine. And so let's be very clear. Jesus was asking God if there is another way and not the suffering, the brutal suffering, not not that, that he was going to be tortured, that he was going to be filleted open, that he was going to be stripped naked and and hung on a cross and die for the sins of the world. Not that. The father's face would have to turn from him. If you look at the life of Jesus, the father, his presence, angels, the presence of God symbolically have always been in his life. The angels were at the birth of Jesus. They, they went to the shepherds in the, in the fields. Remember that? The angels, they were the minister to Jesus where when he was tempted in, in, in 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, the angels, they come here to the garden, but there's one place you don't see the angels minister. Where's that? The cross. They can't. The presence of God is not going to be there. You're going to see God turn his face, and Jesus says, if there's any other way, I'll die for the sins of the world. Whatever you want, I will suffer for humanity, but that, It's too far. But he closes his prayer and says, yet not what I want, or yet I want your will to be done, not mine. The garden here, it teaches us something very important about the posture and the petition of prayer. Do you know, because many of you, all of us have prayers that we're praying right now, things we're asking God to do in our lives. Do you know the answer to prayer is not when God responds to what we want, it's when God responds to what he wants? Did you know that? The answer to prayer is not when God responds to what you want, what I want. It's when he responds to what he wants. And so for many of us, we've been doing this for decades. Well, God didn't answer my prayer, and I'm still waiting on God. No, he answered your prayer. Stop crying over spilled milk and move on. 
It's water under the bridge. It's the past. Move on. God answered and the door didn't open. It's a closed door. And if you live long enough in all of my 40 years, thank God for them closed doors. Thank God for them closed doors. You live a little long, you say, wow, I dodged the bullet, right? Because who was cool in high school is not cool now. And some jobs you thought were a great fit are not a great fit now. And so what we see here is that answer to prayer is how God responds to his perfect will and promise. For me, as I was reading through the scripture, I began to see how far our culture has drifted from the model of Jesus' prayer to God. Did you see what Jesus did? Did you see what he said? It was pretty fascinating. In our culture, every talking head who has a a platform on social media, YouTube, and everything else, you demand God, and you tell him in five days, in 21 days. You march around your house in 10 days, and, and, and you call. We don't demand anything of God. He's holy. He's sacred. He's set apart. He is not a short order cook. He doesn't serve me. I I serve him. Jesus, he approaches the father and he says this in Matthew 26, 39. He says, yet not as I will, but as you will. The the posture of that prayer, you can follow culture. I'm going to follow Jesus. Because what Jesus knew is this. He's more confident in God's will than his request. He made requests with God, and he's more confident in God's request. He's more confident in God's will than his own request. And what you're seeing here, this is a garden that you've all been in or you may be in today. It's the garden of affliction. Have you been there? It's the garden of affliction or the garden of God's will. Now, this is a tough garden. This is a garden none of us want to be in. The garden of affliction or the garden of God's will is a garden you walk into and you're like, oh, surely God can't be here. Oh, this, this cannot be God. Because for some way in our, in our Western mindsets, we think pain doesn't lead to the purposes and the promises of God. We think pain doesn't lead to pleasure. We think pain is the opposite of promise. But the only way you get to promise is through what? Pain. This garden is so significant. It's so intentional. Can I be honest with you? The garden of Gethsemane, like God's overplaying his hand here. Okay, we got it. The pressing, the crushing. And so for Jesus to get to what? The cross, to get to what? The tomb where it's rolled back and he resurrects. He's got to go through what? The pain. He's got to go through the pressing. He's got to go through the crushing. He's got to go through moments that no one has ever gone through in humanity, where God literally turns his face. And so I say all that to say this. If you're in that place right now, stop avoiding it. Stop going to anybody and everybody but God. Stop going to coping mechanisms and habits and behaviors. When we're going through trials, when we're going through pain, take the advice of the garden of affliction, the garden of God's will, lean into the pain. Say, God, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to show me? What do you want to deliver to me that I'm not hearing? Because here's the problem in our culture, and it's happening right now in this room. We're going through pain. You know what we want to do? New job. Move somewhere different. New spouse. New life situation. Buy something new. We call it a midlife crisis. No, we just get tired of pain. We just get tired of hurt. We just get tired of of different things. And and we find ourselves in these places that, oh my gosh, do you know that Jesus didn't go to the Father not just once, not just twice in this exchange? How many times he goes? Three times he goes, my Father, my Father, my Father, if it's possible, take this cup of suffering. Remember, the suffering wasn't the pain. 
It was the father turning his back. Take this cup of suffering from me. Nevertheless, not what? My will, but your will. He didn't demand one thing from the father. Now, we come boldly before the throne because we have access, but we don't demand anything of him. He says, my father, I'm just asking, I'm just pleading, but I'm more confident in your will than this request. And so someone here today, I want you to know this. Just because you're in a place of affliction, just because you're in a place of trial, just because it hurts, just because you could never fathom you'd be here in life, not at this age, not at this season, not here again, just because you didn't know this was going to happen, it caught you off guard, it knocked you off your seat, doesn't mean God's not in it. As a matter of fact, if you profess Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, here's, here's, here's the direct truth. He's in it. That hurt, that pain, that trial, that trauma, he knows how bad it hurts. He's in it, but he's working in it, and he's working through it. Oh, this garden is going to set somebody free here today. It's going to be the most significant resurrection Sunday because you're going to find out every time you go through seasons and moments and decades or whatever it is of hurt and pain, you're going to find out God was in it the whole way through. He was planning. He was preparing. He had a resurrection on the other side. He just had to get to that next garden. And some of us in this room are giving up just a moment too soon. Just a moment too soon before that next garden that next garden of hope, and that's the garden of strength comes. We're giving up just too soon. And so as we continue to read the scripture, what we're going to see here is that Jesus, he's finishing his prayer. He's heard God's answer. It's an answer to prayer. It's not what he wanted. It's not what he requested, but it's an answer to prayer. And so he finishes this way. He says this in verse 41. He says, keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to what? Temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Do you know what Jesus said? Hey, someone just showed up in this garden, and his name is Satan. He said, there's temptation all around you right now. Why? Because in your seasons of hurt, pain, despair, grief, he shows up. It's an opportune time. Why go to God when you hurt? Why run to church when you are afraid, when you are embarrassed, when you are shocked, when you are in a difficult season of life. He says, that's exactly when he shows up in the most inopportune times. You know, some of you, you know the Bible. You've been serving God. You're not ignorant of the enemy's devices. So you know how he gets to you? Through your kids. That's the, in, that's the opportune time. You know how he gets to you? Through your job. Most opportune time because you're there more than you are home. You know how he gets to you? Through your spouse. You know how he gets to you? Through your finances. Now, it gets to you through political stuff. That's how the enemy gets to you. He, you're, you're too smart to say, okay, devil, I know that's lust of the flesh. Okay, devil, I know that's lust of the eye. Okay, I get it. That's pride of life. But, oh, if he can get to you, and how does he get to Jesus? He can't get to Jesus. He gets to Jesus through who? Judas. We're told that in John 13, 27, when Judas had eaten the bread, Satan did what? Entered him. Can't get to Jesus. Boy, you can get to his disciples. You can get to his followers. You get to those who he washed the feet of and those who he loved. We're told he gets to Peter, he, he sifts him, right? We're told he gets to the rest of the disciples and they flee. And so what we see here, you learn and I learn so much from this garden, from this garden of affliction, in this garden of God's will, that not only is it purposeful, not only is it intentional, not only do we have to lean in and say, God, what are you teaching me? What are you showing me? We learn that the enemy pounces in those moments. And once it takes us back to old habits, 
and old behaviors and old addictions and old relationships and old ways of coping with life and, and coping with difficult moments. It's the most inopportune times. And so now we are going to arrive at this third garden. In this third garden, you should know a lot has happened in between. There hasn't been a lot of time, but there's been a lot that has happened. It's actually the very next day. So in the second garden, Jesus, he makes his peace with the will of the Father. He's, he's got the answer to his prayer. The Lord leads him in this place of affliction because he knows God's will is also in the place of affliction. He's not a fair-weather Christian. He's not a superficial Christian. He's not a, a surface-level Christian. Blab it and grab it. Bless me and I'm gone. And if, and if it's not a blessing, it's not God. You don't know God. As a matter of fact, the Bible shows us God can only use you as far as he can hurt you, as far as he can use you. But he's, he's, he's gone through this garden. Now this next garden presents itself. And in the first garden, Jesus walks into this this third garden, his, his lifeless body is going to be carried into. John chapter 19, and it says this. At the place where Jesus was what? Crucified. If you haven't been with us in this series, what's happening here is Jesus, remember from the beginning of the Bible, from the first garden, they sinned. And so every time you and I are born, we're born sinners. Why do I need Jesus? Why do I need God? Because you and I are born sinners. And if we are born sinners, the only guarantee is that we spend an eternity separated from God in hell. And the one thing that saves us from an eternity in hell, think of that, all eternity is repenting of our sins to God in Jesus' name, and that's what saves us. So why does Jesus die? Why the torture? Why the carnage? Why the crushing? Why the the, the pressing? Why all of this? To save you, to save me. Because someone in here today, you don't know Jesus. You've never repented of your sins. You've never welcomed him into your life. And when you read this, I need you to insert your name. He did it for you because he did it for me. And on the front row, he did it for my family. If everybody joining online, he did it for them. And so as you read this, make this your Jesus. Make this your story. Make this your sin. And it says, at the place where Jesus was tortured, filleted, sacrificed, ripped to shreds, it says there was a garden real close to the place where he was crucified. Once again, what a coincidence. And many of you know there's no word for coincidence in the Hebrew language. We made that up. God's intentional. God has purpose for everything. And so right by where he's crucified, there's a a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid because it was a Jewish day of preparation. And, And since the tomb was nearby, of course, they laid Jesus there. And now we get to what you all come for, the main attraction. We get to the stone. We get to the grave. It's interesting because this grave was close where Jesus was crucified, which tells us Jesus had walked by the grave before. He had walked by it. He he looked at the purpose and the plans of God. And I'll tell you, sometimes the purpose and the plans of God don't feel the way you thought they would feel. (laughs) Being used by God, being a bridge to Christ to others. Anyone know if it hurts getting stepped on? It hurts getting talked about. It hurts getting treated and maligned. It hurts, doesn't it? He had walked by where one day his lifeless body would have to be carried and wrapped in, in linens. And, and we're told this place where he would be buried, it wasn't his. He couldn't afford the spot. This was actually the spot of a rich Jew named Joseph of Arimathea. And when you think about where he's buried, don't think about our Western mindset where you, you dig a hole in the ground. It was actually the, the ca- side of a, a cave that was cut out. It's an open hole in the cave that Joseph would have had for him and his family. But he says, no, this is, this is going to be for Jesus. 
And with this open cave, they would have a, a two-ton stone. It'd be from an elevated up a hill, and it would roll down into a close over the mouth of the cave, and no one's moving that thing. And so this is the place where it appears, and it seems like this would be the worst garden of them all. There's finality in this. Jesus has died, and, and now he's behind this two-ton stone, and, and everything that he promised, and everything that he said seemingly died with that moment. This, this seems like the worst garden possible. But did you know that this garden had some visitors? This garden had some visitors. They're actually in the previous garden as well. It's pretty remarkable. This garden has some visitors. You can see this in Matthew 27 and verse 62. It says this, the next day, the one after the preparation day, look at these visitors. Well, how about this? The chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. So the ones who were in the garden to apprehend Jesus, look who shows up to the garden. And then they go to Pilate after that. They say, sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. You know what's shocking about this? They believe what the disciples don't believe. What? What? All the believers are in hiding. And they come to Pilate and say, okay, so long story, Pilate. Okay, you helped us kill them. I appreciate that. Thank you for doing us that solid. However, he's got this knack. How do we say this? Um, he kind of resurrects things. There was a 12-year-old girl. I mean, he's not the Messiah, but there was a 12-year-old girl. And then there was this guy named Lazarus. We, we can't kill him. He just keeps coming from the dead. And he's got this knack. And we remember, we don't believe, but we remember listening to his teachings. And he said, on the third day, he will rise again. And he wouldn't give us a sign. He said, I'll give you the sign of Jonah. I'll be buried in the, in the heart of the earth for three days, and I'll rise again. He said, he said these things, and we don't believe, but if you can give us some guards and soldiers and a seal, we would feel a lot better. We sleep a lot better tonight. And so we are told that that's what happens. And verse 65, it says this, take a guard, Pilate answered. Pilate said, okay, I don't want any trouble or problems. Yes, please take a guard. He answered, uh, go make the tomb as secure as you know. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal. A seal was going to stop Jesus. A seal on a stone and posting the guard. Now, history tells us it wasn't one guard. It was multiple guards. History tells us that Rome, they would put a clay seal on a, stu- on a stone like this covering the tomb. And if you broke that clay seal, it was punishable unto death. So here was their plan. They kept Jesus quiet. They got rid of him. No more Messiah. No more Hosanna. No more saved now. No more blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That is done. That's the other side of the stone. It is done. Do you remember last week when we talked about Jesus coming into the city and they were screaming Hosanna and they were screaming all these things and and, and these same chief priests and Pharisees said, hey, quiet your people down. They're calling you the Messiah. They're calling you the son of David. They're calling you the line of Judah. Quiet them down. You know what Jesus said? I'll remind you if you don't remember. Luke 19. He said this. He said, Luke 19, 40. If they keep quiet, stones will cry out. And I just, that probably sounds awkward for them, right? What do you mean the stones are going to cry out? He said, I would try to keep them quiet. But the earth, the universe would declare who is king, would declare who's Messiah. I would try, but it wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. And so the chief priests, you read it with me, and the Pharisees, we read it. 
They've got Pilate on their side. They've got the big clay seal on the tomb. They've got the two-ton stone. They've got the, they've got the, the soldiers guarding the tomb. And, 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 and what they don't know is that the rocks are about to cry out. Matthew chapter 28, verse 2, it says this, there was a violent earthquake, and it says the rocks were going to cry out. It says the stones were shaking. It says everything in humanity began to shake. Why? Because the Messiah was king of the universe. Because although he died, it was planned from the first garden. Because before the foundations of the earth were laid, the lamb was what? Slain. And so now what you are seeing, the rocks are crying out. The whole earth is shaking. Can you believe this? If you believe this, put your hands together. The whole earth is shaking. The whole world is shaking. This is the best news humanity has ever had. There was a violent earthquake for the angel of the Lord came from heaven, going to the tomb, and rolled back what? There's your message. That's what you came for. Rolled back the stone, and and just because that wasn't cool enough, sat on it. Just in case you think that wasn't good enough, just in case you didn't see enough stones crying out, now we're going to sit on this stone. And we're, t- we're even given this in verse 3. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were white as snow. It says the guards, those big, tough Roman soldiers, were so afraid of him, they shook and became like dead men. Only one person looks dead here, and it's not Jesus. They look like dead men, not not Jesus. And so the garden that we just walked into was the garden of resurrection or the garden of hope. That's the garden. Give God a hand for that. Praise the Lamb of God. This is why we're here today, because no matter who you are, you can go through moments of drift, and many of you, you've drifted far from God. You'd be called the prodigal. But today, I believe in Jesus' name, you're coming back home. You can drift from God, but guess what? There's always a way back home. There's no sin too big. There's not a place you can go too far. There's always a place back home. And for others of you in here today, you're in that season and you're in that moment of affliction. But I promise you, it's part of God's will. And those seasons will lead you to this garden of resurrection and garden of hope. Jesus did it for you. He was the model for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross and the scorn and the shame and gives you and I this place of hope. For those of you who know Jesus already as your Savior, there's a fourth garden for for you in here today. Revelation 2.7 says this, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise or the what? Garden of God. And that's the garden of restoration. That's a new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, the new Eden that one day we get to gather in. But lastly, here's what I want to say. The gardens that the Lord talks about here, the gardens that we followed. I mean, you just went from one end of your Bible to the other end of your Bible. The gardens that we talked about here today are intentional and they're for you. They're for you. Don't look to your left or to your right. They're for you. What garden do you identify with today? What garden speaks to your heart today? Is it the garden of drift? Where you used to pray about things, you used to be so intimate with the Lord, you used to be so close where it wasn't about, do I come Sundays? I get a chance to come Sunday. And it wasn't about, do I give a dime out of a dollar or a tithe? I, I get to. It wasn't about, should I serve it? I get to. And, and somehow along the way, it became about people and offense and church hurt and do you know those people and the hypocrites? And the devil whispers all kinds of things, doesn't he? He's really good at his job. And we get to the place of complacency. And did God really say, And does it take all that? 
Maybe that's for you today. And I want you to see the path, the garden, the path of your way back to a vibrant relationship with the Lord is to let it all go and trust your God and trust your King today. For others of you, you find yourself in the midst of the garden of affliction. And our heart goes out to you. I don't know your name and I don't know your story, but God does. And Jesus knows how you feel. He walked through that garden of affliction. He walked through crushing. Somebody's in here is crushed today. He walked through isolation. He walked through everything you're walking through right now. And he is with you. And he is for you. And if you trust in him in this garden this season, that place becomes the will of God for your life. And here's the good news. Jesus didn't stay in the garden of affliction and neither will you. Weeping indoors for a night. And I don't know how long your night's going to be, but joy is coming in the morning. That's the truth that we have in Jesus. That we endure trials, we endure temptations, but faithful is he who has overcome the world. And that's the garden that he wants you to learn from and to take strength from and to take courage from that it doesn't end in this garden. And for Jesus, it didn't end in that garden. There's always a garden of hope. There's always a garden of resurrection. There's a, there's a message for those of you in here today that you're not familiar with any of these gardens. And I don't know if you're watching online today. I don't know if someone invited you. I don't know, honestly, if you have a drug problem. You were drugged to church all your life. Many of us grew up with a drug problem, drugged to church all our life. We were. It's a true, true story. And we never had a relationship with Jesus. My daughter said this at the Sabbath table the other day. We were honoring the Lord with a, a Shabbat. And she said this. She goes, you know, I learned that it can't be about my parents, God. And some of you are adults in here today, and it's always been about your mom or your dad's God or your grandparents' God. Or, or many of you think, well, just right when I die or right when the fun is up or, or right when I'm, I'm just done in this season of life, let me tell you, it's not about what you can't do serving God. It's about what you get to do. And all you're doing without God in your life, if you've never prayed, Jesus, forgive me of my sins and come into my life, all you're doing, you're creating seasons and moments in life of brokenness and hurt. Those of us who have been far from God, we know that the traumas and the pain of our life happened when we weren't close to God. We weren't near to God. And you are creating and you are experiencing a life that's far from God that God can heal. You know, we carry these heavy burdens in a room like this today. And, and I know some people don't want to be here today. You did it because mom. You did it because dad, grandparents, a friend. Let me just let you know they love you. They love you. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Smooth are the words of an enemy. They love you. They did the hard stuff. They promised you a good meal after this probably. They tricked you into going to a diner and came here instead. Oh, just right before we eat. Just right before we quit. Let me quit. The guy's not long-winded at all. That wasn't a joke. And so for you here today that you've never prayed a prayer, you don't know 
the redemptive love of God. You don't know the one who's crazy about you named Jesus. I don't know what you've heard about him, but he's not here to destroy you. Oh, I got to change all kinds of things in my life. Jesus actually said to come as you are. Let him take care of the rest. I'm sorry in church we said you got to dress a certain way and act a certain way and smell a certain way. I'm sorry for that, that, that experience. Jesus says, come as you are. All you are weary and heavy laden. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, come to me. Come as you are. All you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens. And he'll do what? Give you rest. If Jesus is not your Lord, if you've never prayed to receive him, if you don't follow him, if he is not your Lord, you are carrying heavy burdens and you feel a weight on your chest, not just right now. When you put your head on the pillow at night, you're not sure of your security. If you died, where you would go. You're not sure if if there's a God or if he has this all planned. You're not sure. You've heard so many competing and conflicting thoughts. Why is he the one that's right and not all the other world religions? Taste and see. The Lord is so good. Taste and see when you receive forgiveness. That scripture said all the heavy burdens that we carry, they're supposed to be heavy. So we surrender them to him. And so in this last moment of our gathering together, there's going to be two prayers. There's going to be two prayers for the prodigal and for the pagan. We've prayed for you, by the way. We don't know your name. You might not know our names. We prayed for you this week. And we said, God, with all of our heart, we don't want good music. We don't want good sound. We don't want good screens. We don't want good ambiance. We don't want good weather. We did not pray for the weather. Clearly, clearly. We said, Lord, and we wrote names down, people who are going to be here, people not going to be here. We said, Lord, bring the prodigal home, those who knew God and walked away, and they know God because their parents raised them better, and their grandparents raised them better. And the pagan, those who have never prayed. In these next moments, we're going to pray for, for both those people. Because you are part of our family. You're at Legacy Church. You're not an outcast. You're part of the family. And so we're going to pray this prayer and know this. If you pray this sincerely with all of your heart, you will be either restored because you're not a servant. You're a son like the prodigal. Or you will be saved. This day moving forward, April 9th of 2023 will be the day that you welcome the Lord into your life and that you were saved. And so the first prayer is for the prodigal. Everyone bow their heads with me. In this room, there are people who grew up knowing God. There are people who grew up in church. There are people who grew up reading the scripture. There are people whose parents raised you up in the ways of the Lord, and your parents are weeping right now for you, whether they're in the building or they're far. They're weeping because the Bible promised them, when you are old, you will come back. And right now, we are telling you it's time to come home. The prodigal, it's time to come home. I know you've been far. I know you don't know the first step. I I know you don't know the cost and what you're going to have to change. I'm saying don't worry about any of it. I'm saying it's time to come home. I'm saying we miss you. I'm saying we love you. I'm saying let's not talk about your sins. Let's talk about your future with God. I'm saying you matter and you belong. And so right now with your heads bowed and eyes closed, I need all my prayer words praying with me. I'm going to ask for every prodigal to raise your hand. You're coming home today. We are not going to be ashamed. We are going to be proud that I am coming back to the Lord today. I'm repenting of my sins. I want the Spirit of God to be in my heart and my soul. And I'm coming back to the Lord. Prodigals, raise your hand. Whether your parents are here or not, the Lord sees and he knows. Today is the day we are coming back to the Lord. And so God, you see the hands and and some who 
just in their heart, they're saying, God, I'm coming back today. And that's just as good. And lastly, we're going to pray for the, for the pagan, those who have never prayed to receive the Lord. And maybe you have a loose belief or maybe you don't. But today, if you have never made God your God, I didn't say your parents believed. I didn't say your grandparents believed. But if you have never had a personal relationship with the God of this Bible, with Jesus, the one who died for you, this is your moment. This is the most impactful moment of your life. The most important decision you will ever make is to welcome Jesus into your life. This is not strong arming you. This is giving you a wonderful opportunity. And so if that is you, this is your moment. If that is you, let go. Let go of the heavy birds. Let go of the doubt. Let go of the fear. And trust that God brought you here for a purpose. And he has a plan for your life. The best of your days are ahead of you. And if that is you, raise your hand. Today, if you're going to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, Today, if you're going to say, Lord, you are my Lord, you are my Savior, I'm going to believe. I'm going to trust you. I don't know how it all works, but I believe that you have a plan and a purpose for my life. That is you. Raise your hand so proud before God, and we're going to lead you in a prayer along with our prodigals today. So church family, we're going to pray this together, and this prayer is going to be for our prodigals and for those first pray in the prayer to receive the Lord into their life. Pray with me. Lord God, we believe in you. We repent of our sins. Thank you for sending Jesus to redeem me. Holy Spirit, give me a hunger for your word and for discipleship the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Put your hands together for the goodness of our God and our King. And if that wasn't you here today that you prayed to, to return to the Lord, don't run out of here. We've got great resources to to equip you with and disciple you and, and help you along your journey. We love you and God Amen. bless you. We hope that you are challenged, impacted, and blessed by the message today. For more information, please visit LegacyChurchAI.org or take a moment to follow us on Instagram at LegacyChurchAI.